it had never occurred to me up until that point that I could even question that belief that I had in my head, that belief, mm-hmm. the belief that I wasn't enough. I couldn't, I didn't even know that it was in the realm of possibility for me to even ask, well, is that true? Welcome to You Better, a show about personal discovery and love. I'm your host, Keisha Garrison, and I'm on that journey of knowing and loving who I really am every day, just like you. I want you to come face to face with yourself and be proud of what you see. My friend, it's time to do better. It's time to you better. Now let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of You Better. As always, I'm delighted that you are here with me for another conversation with a fascinating person who I happen to have the good fortune to learn from. Today's episode is with Dr. Shelley Bomick, Dr. B, as I will now always call her. Dr. Shelley Bomick is the founder of Platform Wellness, a practice dedicated to helping people heal from burnout. And her practice is based on the belief that mindset is medicine. And this is a belief that she came to realize through her own journey that began at the edge of a subway platform. I am really excited to share her story with you. I do want to give a bit of a heads up to people who might be sensitive to conversations involving talk of suicide or also losing loved ones to cancer. Both of those themes are part of this episode and part of Shelly's story. So if those are things that would be really difficult for you, I want to give you a heads up that that content is in today's episode so that you can make a decision about if you have the mental, emotional capacity to hear those stories today. So let's go right ahead and jump into this conversation with Dr. B. And afterwards, I will share some of the questions that I think would be great for you to chew on after having taken in her story. Let's get into it. First of all, I want to thank you so much for joining me on You Better. I really appreciate you sitting down with me to share part of your story. No, thank you so much for having me. I always, I always love doing, you know, doing interviews like these, being able to talk about my story because I know that it's going to help other people too. So, yes. So, for those who have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, can you share, Doctor B? Who are you today? Yes. So I am, I'll give you the professional answer first, and then I'll give you the the personal answer. Uh, The professional answer is that who I am today, I am a physician. I am based here in New York City. Um, My specialties are lifestyle medicine and preventive medicine. And in particular, I work with individuals and organizations to help them with burnout. Um, so that is my that is my professional uh, you know answer to the question. And my personal answer to the question is, I am a learner. I am constantly I am constantly absorbing everything around me, and it has been, such a, it's been so wonderful to embrace that, to embrace that part of my personality, um, to embrace that as a strength of mine, because it's, it's because of that, that listening, that learning that I'm able to help people, especially when it comes to this burnout work. So I am first and foremost, a learner. I love it. So when you think about young Shelly, like rewind your mind and go back to say middle school, Shelly. 
what do you think that she would think of both of those descriptions of yourself, of who you are today? I think young Shelley would accept the first description and be disappointed about the second description because, yes, because young Shelley was only knew about achievement, you know, effort, anything was, it was always about achievement. Um, I, uh, you know, if you didn't meet that bar, then anything that went into getting to that place, it like didn't count, you know, none of the effort counted. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time describing it, but it's, you know, because I feel so far removed from, from how I used to think when I was younger, but yeah, in general, I, you know, nothing was ever good enough. Um, and I know we're going to get into, get into more of that, not, not good enough uh, part of the story um, of, of my own personal story, but, but yes, I don't think young Shelley would, would like that, uh, that description of being, being a learner. Wow. Do you know, or can you recall why young Shelley thought so much of achievement that she really was anchored on, I got to get to the end result. Like what contributed to that mindset? Oh, yes. I can, I can definitely recall. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, a lot of it goes back to colorism. Mm. I, I am South Asian. I'm a South Asian woman and I have dark skin. And in our culture, as I as I know is the case with other cultures, many other cultures, mm-hmm. if you have dark skin, you are considered less than somebody with fair skin. And that narrative, that message, I absorbed that very early on in my childhood, three, four years old. I heard that message. Wow. And, and so I interpreted that to mean that I was not enough, that I would never be enough. And so the only way I knew how to compensate for this inadequacy was by achieving, whether mm. that was getting an A plus on a social studies test or, you know, playing the hardest piece at a piano recital, you know, that is what I thought I could do in order to compensate again for the inadequacy that I was because of the color of my skin. And so, you know, I, that messaging, um, that was ingrained in me as truth. Like I truly believed that I wasn't enough for so, so many years. And that fueled this perfectionism that I was trying to attain again in, as a, as, as a young child, as a, as a young adult and so on. Um, and, and that pursuit of perfectionism, that that's what fueled my own personal burnout. And, mm. and then, you know, later led on to, you know, uh, having, having issues with mental health and, and all of that. And it's just, uh, yeah, it came, it came from that initial, um, childhood understanding that, okay, because of the color of my skin, I'm not going to ever be somebody or something that's going to be enough. Um, so, mm-hmm. so achievement was the only way that I knew how to, how to even try to, 
address that issue. Yeah. When something is so deeply rooted from the time that you were a little kid and then it becomes part of your wiring, it could be really difficult to even notice that this is where you're operating from or to notice that there is a thing that needs to get uprooted so that you can live a freer life. Like, how did you get to a place of awareness that's like, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't working. Right, right. You know, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I, I found myself in a pretty bad place. And the scary part was that I didn't realize it. Now, I, you know, I've uh, dealt with mental health issues, depression in particular, on and off over the years. It really, for me, it really started um, when my mom passed away from cancer when I was in college. So it's kind of woven in and out of my life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yes, the beginning of 2020, so before COVID really hit the US, I, I was in a pretty bad place. And again, even as a physician, I didn't, I didn't recognize the signs and symptoms. Mm. Um, I didn't know how bad things were until literally a Friday evening rush hour, standing at the edge of the subway platform here in New York City, um, you know, wondering if I should push myself over that edge. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I had never experienced anything like that before. It was, it was really scary. And to step away from that edge, literally, mm. figuratively, that was a process, to say the least. Um, I, I tell people that I was one of those who was so thankful to go into lockdown at the start of the pandemic because I literally needed that time and that space in order to heal, in order to recover. Wow. And so it was during that time period in particular that I, during that work, that inner work, that I came to realize just how powerful your mindset is when it comes mm-hmm. to your health and well-being. You know, I, I say that mindset is medicine because that's what really helped me get to the other side. Um, and, and it's the reason for me doing uh, the work that I do in, in my practice in platform wellness because I want to make sure that no other person ends up at that same extreme, at that edge of that platform. Um, and um, you know, and, uh, and to, to actually tie this back to the colorism piece, so you know, this was in the spring going into the summer of 2020, obviously there was uh, at that time a lot of social unrest with George Floyd's murder. And there was so much conversation at the time happening around around all these, you know, all these issues. Uh, And and so I would hear people uh, talk about how, you know, before they even enter a room, they feel this weight, they feel this burden of like, Mm -hmm. you know, of needing to prove themselves even before they you know, meet somebody or walk in the room or what have you. And I remember listening to this message from different people hearing this and thinking, oh my God, wait, that's what I feel. I feel like I have this, that I'm carrying this weight with me all the time and that I have to prove myself all the time. And so that's when I really started to recognize and untangle this this faulty wiring that had been you know that has that's been hardwired in my brain ever since I was young because it 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 had never occurred to me up until that point that I could even question that belief that I had in my head that belief mm-hmm. the belief that I wasn't enough I couldn't I didn't even know that it was in the realm of possibility for me to even ask well is that true is that right. you know what else could be true 
What you know? What if that's not true? What else could be true? You know, what if I am enough? What if I've always been enough? What if I'm more than enough? It. I. I feel so silly saying it now, but yeah, it had never occurred to me that I could that I could question those beliefs, and and once I did start questioning those beliefs and started untangling that faulty wiring, and then putting in replacing that wiring with with new healthy, healthy, healthy thought loops, healthy wiring, it, my, my life changed. You know, yeah. I, I felt like I was living a new life. The, you know, the lens through which I had seen the world, I had a filter on it. And suddenly that filter was gone and I was seeing things so much more clearly. So again, that is why, that's why I say mindset is medicine. And that's why, you know, this, you know, this nugget in particular is something that I as a physician feel like is so important to pass on to my patients, to my clients, um, especially to other women of color, because yeah. I know I'm not the only one that's standing at the edge of, you know, of wherever they're not at all. I, you know, so, so yeah. <laughs> Once you do get to that place where you're questioning, like, is that true? Mm. Oh, you're so right that once you start to untangle one piece and then you realize that something that you held on to for so long actually wasn't true. And then you start to realize, wait, I can ask this question of so many other things. It really is. It, it does start this domino effect of change in your life because you, that one, whatever that big one was that was there for so long gave you that permission to question more. And that has, I, I, I relate to so much of what you were just saying. I could feel just like chills down my arm because I am a, a recovering excellence addict myself. And yes. I have to daily allow myself the, the, the okay to mm. not do everything to the utmost. And mm. I have so many of those same things from you know, the enoughness, the the feelings of from when I was really, really young, mm -hmm. feeling like the only way I'm going to make it, the only way I can get through is if I'm undeniably excellent. Mm -hmm. And so that carried that for so long. And so like when you say you're not the only one, I was sitting here like you're with your people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Actually, on that note, one thing that I found really helpful in, in just my day to day work is to have taglines. This is mm. something it, it's a it's a coaching technique that I learned from uh, another coach. But it's it's basically these these short, uh, powerful phrases to, to just get you through your day. And so one of my taglines, actually, even before I say the tagline, let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the 80-20 rule? Yes. But maybe like break it down in case someone who's listening doesn't understand the 80-20 rule. Yeah, you know, I think it it's uh, it comes up in a, a lot of different areas or it can be applied to many different concepts. But um, in in talking about doing work, for example, or productivity, um, you know, typically when you're doing something, once it's 80 percent of the way done, you know, that's a good place to stop that 20 percent where the perfectionists in us, you know, will, you know, will read and reread a sentence that we're that in an email and move the comma here and then move the comma there. Mm -hmm. That that 20% of work that we do is just, it's not worth it. And no. so I often my tagline that I tell myself almost every day is fuck the 20. When mm. I when I am doing work, <laughs> 
I I have to remind myself all the time, Shelly, fuck the 20, hit send, mm-hmm. you know, make the call, whatever it is, whatever it is that I'm working yeah. on. Because un- unless I give myself that little push of like, no, 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 this is done. This is good. Move on. Move mm-hmm. on to the next. I, yeah, I can. Oh, my God. Yeah, that incremental <laughs> result that you get from all the effort that goes into that twenty percent is like it's not worth it. Mm-mm. You are you're going to. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, and we were in the zone with this analogy of collecting the fruits of your labor. Because I, I had mentioned that this year I wanted to really be in the zone of like not just brushing past everything that I do. I want to pause and like enjoy the fruits of my labor, mm. and. That also means that when the fruit is there, when the fruit appears, I'm, I also can, should not do all this work to scramble up the tree and, and, and try to go get it and like all that extra effort. I, the fruit is going to fall off the tree at some point and it will be the same fruit, but I will mm. be more rested when I receive it in my hands because I didn't like, okay, I see fruit. Now it's, it's always, always in motion, always doing the most to get the same thing that I would have gotten had I just stood there and let it come down in its time. And it will probably be even more ripe fruit because it was ready at that mm. point to fall down off that tree. So I'm just trying to remind myself, like, are you doing the most? <laughs> Can you do less right now? Yes. Oh, I love that as a tagline. Are you doing the most? Are you doing the most? Because the most is not always necessary. There are a few things that deserve the most as effort that I've identified in my life, but everything doesn't deserve the most so that I can actually relax Mm. and rest and -hmm. recover. I feel like my body is in a state of just, I don't even know how to describe what has happened to my body, but I know I've done, damage has happened. I won't say I've done damage. Mm. Damage has happened over time Mm -hmm. from that constant state of high performance at that level. Mm-hmm. The straight A's forever. I look at my daughter and I'm like, that's not the goal. I mm-hmm. don't want her to get to that place where it's like everything has to be so excellent at the expense of you being willing to operate at the level of self-harm. Yeah, yeah. I, I talk about this a lot with my with my patients, with my coaching clients, just with burnout. Um, yeah. You know, burnout is chronic stress. And in the body, chronic stress leads to inflammation. And that inflammation, it shows up in different ways for different people. For some people, it's eczema. For some people, it's migraines. For some people, it's IBS. You know, it's that inflammation, just that wear and tear on our body is, uh, becomes becomes those physical signs and symptoms. And it's, and it's our job to be able to recognize those signs and symptoms in order to then really address the real issue at hand, which is that chronic stress. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of people might not make the connection that you were able to make about colorism and how the, how it affected you early on in your life. And that's, that's not a individual thing that some people are like, Oh, this is what happened in my family. But it's like, this is a system of, of belief that is that we're all living inside of. That's a bigger thing that is a layer on top of our lives that we just happen to be little dark-skinned girls and we existed inside of a, of a world where colorism is real. And so mm-hmm. it's like figuring out how we then don't perpetuate that system out into the world 
onto other people, but we have to stop participating in it for ourselves first to not mm. be, be part of the perpetuation of it. Definitely, definitely. And just yeah. to add to that too, I something that I have been working on the past year is understanding trauma. Yeah. You know, as a as a physician, you know, in my training in medical school and residency, trauma meant trauma meant, you know, big T trauma. Uh, it was it was people who suffer from PTSD, you know, maybe they were in a, a war-torn country, maybe they experienced sexual abuse as a child. You know, that was considered trauma. That's what I knew trauma to be. I never really learned about little t trauma until mm -hmm. this year in in meeting other other experts who are in this field who who really it, it was like pulling a curtain for me because I once I learned about this idea of little t trauma um I could then look back on my own childhood and recognize oh okay yeah I maybe I didn't have big t trauma but I sure know where that little t trauma I can I can identify mm -hmm. where a lot of that was and okay now I understand why I you know, act a certain way now as an adult or feel what I feel as an adult. It, it just, it's been, it's been so helpful to connect the dots. Yeah. To have the context for who you ended up becoming. Mm. When you were going through all of the work to keep yourself on, you, you stepped off that edge and that's a heavy moment in your life. What did your, um, when you were doing that work, what does your support system look like around you? New York City can be a place where people are surrounded by people, but actually mm. don't have very large networks of people intimately close because it's just everyone's so busy. But I'm curious what your support system looked like when you were going through all of this heavy mental and emotional work. Right, right. I, you know, I was fortunate at the time in in that in March, I I went back to the Boston area, which is where my family is, my immediate family, um, and so. I spent several months, you know, the, the beginning of the pandemic there with them. And, and that I, I feel so fortunate that I was able to do that because I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it would have been like if I was here alone in my apartment in New York city for, for that time. Um, so being physically surrounded by, by family, close family, that was, that was helpful. They didn't, they didn't know what I was working through specifically, mm -hmm. but um, but just physically having having them there was was very helpful. Um, there were some friends who who knew of of this journey that I was on, and so being in in communication with them was extremely helpful. Um, my you know the in terms of professional support, you know, having my therapist, you know, also on the journey with me, you know, helping me every week that was that was definitely uh, you know. That was definitely crucial, and other things too. I I remember the start of the pandemic. Um, I she's a really great friend now. I, I was introduced to somebody who, who at the start of the pandemic was doing nightly meditations, leading leading meditations, um, and so I had never done anything like that before. But that was also very very therapeutic. You know, learning how to, learning how to slow down, learning how to, uh, tune into the body to recognize where you might be holding stress. Uh, those were all very important skills that I learned in, in that time. So 
Um, so it was definitely a mix of mix of things in terms of support uh, during that. I'm so I'm happy for Shelly of a few years ago that she had those people. And now I get to mm -hmm. see you here today, smiling at me, talking about burnout. I'm glad that, that you had the support system you needed. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I, so when I, uh, in my coaching practice, in my practice, I, I have a methodology I use called REST, and it's a three-part methodology. It's, it REST stands for Revive, Strive, and Thrive. And one of the steps in that framework is to seek support. It's one of the very first mm. steps, because you can't do any of this on your own. And as human no. beings, we are we need one another for survival. This is, mm -hmm. this is how we evolved as a species. We need to, especially in times of stress, be surrounded by people that we, that we trust, that we can lean on. And so yeah, for anyone who is listening, who is experiencing burnout or just having a hard time, it is really important to reach out to people that you know that you can lean on instead of instead of keeping it all in because mm -hmm. you need to reach out in order to then to then heal you know to move on yes. to recover so yes i've had several instances where i got to a point of i'm not okay and there was a point during one of the the heights of the pandemic times where i had just so many things were weighing on me on a, a personal professional there were so many things weighing on me and and I got to a point where I was like, I know I'm not okay and I need my peeps, but my friend network is very distributed in a lot of places and people know me from different chapters of my life and they don't know each other. And even the thought of trying to even think about, well, who do I reach out to? That mm. part got overwhelming. Mm. And so what I ended up doing was I, I made a private Facebook group and the title of it was In Need of Support. And I... I added a whole bunch of these people that did not know each other, but they all love me. And it was just maybe like four or five people that I was like, they know me so intimately, but they don't all know each other. But every time I talk to someone, I don't want to try to, it was, my brain was overstimulated thinking yeah. about how do I update this person and this person and this person in all these different places. So I put them in a group together and I just told them all at one time, this is how I'm feeling right now. And it's really bad. Mm. And I need a place that I can just plug into where I know there's love and friendship and support. And I just need to know that my people know what's going on with me and how bad things have gotten. Mm. And creating that little Keisha community <laughs> on Facebook really, really helped me to kind of problem solve my way out of the, just the, even the mental stuckness of, I don't mm. even know how to start with my friends to tell them how bad this has gotten. Mm. So mm. I offer that just because I think about people who might hear, you got to reach out for support. And you're just like, what do people mean when they say that? Or how does that look? Or, I don't know who to call or I don't have anyone. Like it might be somebody from your past who just loves you and you just, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love that you, that you uh, shared that because I, I think that's going to be very helpful for, for folks who are listening. And it, and it gets to the point about, um, you know, when you are, when you are really stressed, burned out, you have this tunnel vision. You can't yes. problem solve. You can't see the bigger picture. And you that's why you need other people around you because they can help you take that step back in order to regain the peripheral vision to, to see, okay, 
what's going on. Let me let me try to tackle this. Because um, yeah, when you're in it, it's just so hard. It's just so hard to recognize what potential solutions could be and yeah. you know find that way out. So no, I love that. Yeah. All right, it's time for a quick break because I need to talk to the people who might want to book me. So listen, if you are in the position of curating powerful learning experiences and you like what you're learning here on You Better, let's take this thing to the next level. Email me today to book me for your next event or broadcast where personal growth or activating care for different communities and cultures are on the agenda. I am ready to moderate meaningful conversations, deliver insightful interviews, lead learning circles, or to speak about how we can be better to ourselves and others. Tap into my enthusiasm for encouraging us to love and celebrate the richness of our varied experiences. Email me today at info at keishagarrison.co. And don't get it mixed up. That's an I before E in that Keisha, and that is .co at the end. Info at KeishaGarrison.co. I'll be looking out for your message. Now let's get back to the show. So now that you have found yourself uh, in the today of things, I'm curious how you show love to yourself these days. Like if I ask you, Shelly, show me the receipts for how you love yourself. I want to know what they are. What would you pull out of the bag? I, so I know, I knew you were going to ask this question <laughs> and this is a work in progress. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this is a work in progress. I, one way that I do that is by telling myself more frequently that it's okay. Mm. It, depending on what it is that I'm doing. A lot of the time it has to do with my work, but I, I, you know, that, that voice inside my head can be so, so mean. Right. And um, I'll have to, I, I have to stop myself and tell myself, no, actually it's okay. It, it It's okay. If this thing doesn't get done or it's okay. If this isn't the way that you, you know, the way you want it to be. It, uh I'm starting there. <laughs> I'm starting there. Yes. I- I'll report back and let you know, <laughs> and let you know, give you some more receipts. But um, it- it's hard. It's, it's hard. It is hard. And I-, I find it really, it's also helpful for people to hear that answer because you get this thought that like, oh man, how does everybody have all these things and all these answers figured out? And that's that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to a lot of different people in this in this space on my platform because I don't want it to be all people who are like, oh, yeah, and they just like immediately have all of these amazing things that they're doing. It's like, how did you get there? Right. Because we have a lot of forces working um, around us that tell you that it is not okay to love yourself, that you have a your purpose is to produce and to serve this and to serve that. And we have a lot of outward focus on other people's goals, other people's well-being. We, we have, we're just socialized in that way. Yeah. And it's not an easy thing to be like, oh, yeah, every day. This is what I do. It's like a work to get to that place to be like, yes, I know how I'm loving on myself every day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, if somebody tells me to look at yourself in the mirror and get, you know, say that you, oh my, go fuck yourself. I can't, I can't do those things. I, maybe I'll get there, but it is just not how I do not function like that. I do not look at myself in my mirror and talk to myself that way 
and I, nor do I want to at this point in my life. So, yeah. so yeah, not everything works for everyone. Um, and it's baby steps. It's, it's those small it changes that, that are those small steps that make big change. So, yes, yes. Now in your state as a person who's embraced so much learning, are mm-hmm. there any resources that you've find yourself valuing and that you've really appreciated like podcasts or books that you've read or a documentary that inspired you. It could be anything, but is there anything that you have taken in as you've gone on your learning journey that you think would be really cool for anyone else to check out? Yeah, I, um, I feel like I'm a webinar hoe. <laughs> I, during mm. the, during the pandemic, I just could not stop listening to all the all the webinars that were that were happening around me, uh, there were just so many fascinating people coming together, turning on their cameras, on their computers, going onto Zoom, and just sharing all this knowledge. So um, it, it wasn't necessarily any one particular source, but anywhere that I could hear somebody talk about their experience or provide guidance, I, I, I would gravitate towards that. Um, and listen on double speed because look, not, we don't all have the time. So <laughs> catch the recording, listen on double speed, absorb, you know, move on. Um, but, and I, and I think that's an important thing too. I, I try to do a good job of not staying in one lane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for example, last year I went to this comedy festival and I learned so much it from that festival that I can apply to my own business, to my own work as a, as a physician that, um, you know, so so there, yeah, there's learning everywhere. Um, I, I learn when I, when I play with my niece and nephew. Uh, So it's just, it's about, you know, being open, keeping your eyes open, keeping your ears open. That is, I think the, the main skill. And then, and then the resources, you know, those those can definitely come at, come after, but yeah. that skill itself is really important. As a comedian, I am delighted to hear a physician <laughs> say, I learned some things at a comedy festival that I could apply to my practice. I'm like, oh, wow, that is so cool. Yes, yes. Well, you know, just in general, the, the idea of storytelling or the, or the power in telling stories, that's how that's how really important messages are communicated from one person to another. And in the field of medicine and, and healthcare, we have, you know, we as physicians and, and healthcare providers, we, you know, there's so much that we that we want to pass on to the people that we care for. But I think a lot of times we get tripped up and we end up not being able to to do that because because of the way that that the message is packaged and delivered. And, yeah. you know, if there was more storytelling in the way that we, in the way that we uh, deliver these messages, I think, I think we'd be able to, to just serve our patients better, but that's just my yeah. two cents. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing your two cents as a, as a person who's made a big part of my life about getting stories out into the world. Mm. It absolutely, it absolutely helps me to, I guess, value that in a different way and in a better way still wrestling with valuing that that's something that I love. And it's like, how much of that is really helping people? There's so many stories, or at least maybe it feels that way because I'm consumed in the world of storytelling. I'm just mm. like, how much more valuable can one more story be? But I, I know that it is. I just sometimes need a reminder that people do 
find it helpful and people do take value out of hearing those stories. Um, so one of the things I appreciate about you sharing your story with me is when I, you know, look at you, I can, I'm going to make the assumption that people will look at you and be like, oh my, look at this woman. She's a, a woman of color. She's a doctor. She's beautiful. And they're just going to, they're cheering. We need more of you. We're so excited that you exist. Mm. And what I have seen in my life is I've had the experience of people cheering for me so hard that they just can't stop cheering even while I'm suffering. Mm. And they think even when I tell them I'm suffering, that more cheering is the answer too. So mm. that has been an experience that I have had. And I feel like it's going to be so powerful for people to really take in a story like yours and be like, oh, wow, I didn't expect it to go in that direction. I, I, 100% agree with you. It is so important to pull back the curtain because when we do that, it makes our success attainable for the person who's watching or, or listening. Or it, it just, it makes it something tangible that they too can can relate to. And I, I get hope from from hearing about other people who have faced adversity, but then, you know, here's how they, here's how they worked through it. You know? Yeah. That's where that's, again, that's where a lot of the learning happens. That's where we really just develop the skills we need to human better. So. Yeah. Yes. And people have said to me that they think, oh, it's so brave of you to be so vulnerable all the time, or, you know, just different shades of that statement. And what I'm thinking on my end is that the, my vulnerability has been my lifeline. It's more like it's felt like I had to do it at some point because it helps pop that pressure bubble. If I can make sure that in, in you know, in ways and places where it's safe, if I can be vulnerable, then the expectations that have been built up for the excellence can, can we can pull that down because the more human I can be, then the less people will expect me to operate like an excellence robot. And I feel like being vulnerable and being human allows that pressure to come down and for me to find the people who are also in that space that need the same things I need, that are learning the things that I need to learn and they can find me when I have revealed our points of connection as human that are possible. Yeah. So I find those revelations and the things that the thing that you probably want to hide the most is the thing that can probably connect you to someone who can help you learn what you need to learn. Yes. Yes. I, it's so funny that you, that you mentioned vulnerability being your lifeline, because I, I say that vulnerability is my greatest strength. That is yeah. what has helped me. It's been a lifeline for me as well, especially I'm thinking back to my, my medical training. You know, I had a really tough time because my mom had passed away when I was a senior in college. And, um, you know, I was still working through a lot of that grief and bereavement. And, but I, you know, as a perfectionist, I just kept barreling forward. I'm like, okay. I was okay. going to say you stayed in school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I <sighs> finished, finished college. I, the plan was always to take a year off in between college and medical school. But, you know, that once that year was done, I was in medical school. And, and, oh and my it just, gosh. it was really, it was really difficult, especially when we started seeing, uh, started doing our rotations um, as medical students and seeing other patients, seeing other cancer patients. Oh my God, I, I had such a hard time. And I, you know, it was the moments when I was able to go up to 
my resident or my attending, the, the people, the doctors who are overseeing me as a student and tell them, I'm having a hard time. This is reminding me of my mom. Like I'm not able to do the work or something's wrong. Just being able to share that with them made the work so much easier that once I was able to share that with them, then I could be, you know, the medical student I needed to be and, 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 and do what I needed to do. But it was, it was the, you know, holding that back was, was just so detrimental to, Mm -hmm. to me functioning in that, in that environment. Yeah. There can be a lot of fear in what will the reaction be? Am I going to, you feel like you're being a problem for other people or what happens if I say what I need in this vulnerable way and it's met with a no, or I get it pushed back or used against me in some way. And I think that if that's what happens and you have just realized that like, this is not an environment that is suited for me to actually be a whole human. Like you've just learned something, you got more data about where you are. And it's not necessarily that you've become a problem, but if you get, like if you're your professors or the people who you were working with had had come back and said, ah, we hear you, but you still need you to show up in these ways, in these places, understand that we understand it's triggering, but if that had happened, then it would have been like, okay, well, I have some decisions to make. This is not a, this is, this was a me problem that now has revealed that I also have an issue with Mm -hmm. the people that I've surrounded myself with and the environment that I'm stepping into. Yes. Yes. The, the, uh, concept, the idea of psychological safety. I talk about it so much in the context of stress and burnout, because if you don't feel safe in the environment that you're in, if you don't feel safe enough to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not okay, I need help, that's a problem. You know, and and when I work with organizations in particular, I I really stress that, you know, yes, we can help the individual with, you know, with stress and burnout, but at an organizational level, you need to create that culture of safety so that there's, you know, there's that safety net in place where people don't, you know, don't fall through um, and then where they feel comfortable raising their hands when they need to. Mm So, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot from the standpoint of reflecting on businesses where I've worked, where kind of the intensity of the environment gets kind of laughed off as like, Oh, it's, you know, the thing we all have to go through, you know, this is the insert company here way. And, you know, everybody goes through this period where it's, you know, torture and pain and people say drinking from the fire hose or there's all sorts of different euphemisms for Mm. we put people in overwhelmingly stressful situations. We've all done it. Now it's your turn. And think about that. And I'm like, well, should you be putting people through that like are you really thinking about what the experience of the humans in the organization are and are you creating an environment where you're asking people to withstand Mm. a whole bunch of things and you're putting them in the situation where the individuals have to like come and press up against the organization so much that it's it's chipping away at them because they have to repeatedly keep saying like i'm not okay Mm -hmm. i'm not okay I'm not okay. I think the organizations need to ask themselves some questions about what what does it really look like? What am I asking of the individuals here? What am I asking them to withstand and survive to say that they work here? Yeah. Yeah. Because things are very different today than they were when we 
drink from the fire hose, for example. You know, I, I think about technology a lot, like our use of technology, of social media, of just how um, how much it's woven itself into the fabric of our society and and the impact of that, you know, on a, you know, on a, the, the larger population scale, but at the individual level too, it's just, oh, there's so much to deal with. Um, yes. Now versus before. So. Yeah. The, the overload of the stimulation, the, the processes, the new technology to figure out all the different places to show up. It's, it is a lot. Mm. It is, this is not, the nineties anymore. <laughs> I do miss the nineties. The nineties were really good. Sometimes I sit at my stove and I, I make um, a family recipe for this, for pecan candy. It's very Ooh. simple, very simple, but it requires you to sit and stir at your stove for 30 minutes. Oh, wow. And it's something, an activity that transports me to a simpler time. Mm. It's like something that can just take me back where all of this, that this difference in the world, all of this can kind of stop for a second. And I just have that activity that transports me back to like the 80s and the 90s where I was, when when I was a kid who was getting the chance to learn how to make the pecan candy, my biggest worry was don't burn the candy. Right, I can right. just sit there and stir for 30 minutes. And just have that be my world and you have to focus on it. And so that's one of my calm today's over overstimulated pressure noise down to just one activity. I love that. I love that. I I I find that also in cooking for me as well. Just the it just helps me focus. You know, it yeah. you stop you stop trying to multitask. You just you have to focus on the thing in front of you and just follow the steps and then when you're mm-hmm. done you have something really enjoyable that you can that you can share with other people and it's yeah yeah i love that beautiful uh, well going forward for you what would it look like for you to you better to to be shelly bomick even better mm, i really have to the giving myself grace peace is so important. And that's a, that's a skill that I really want to work on a habit that I want to develop um, really strongly. I, 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 because I know that that is what is going to help me up level in the future, whether that's professionally or personally, giving myself grace is what's going to give me the boost I need to, to just rise. Um, So I want to focus on that moving forward. And may I don't know, maybe that means I got to look in the mirror. I didn't talk to myself. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There. You might get there one day. You're going to walk in that bathroom and be like, now, hold on. Hold on, Shelly. Yes. Hey, girl. It's, yes. It might just wash over you. And all of a sudden, you're going to talk to yourself in the mirror, lady. <laughs> right, right, right. But but no, the, the giving, giving myself grace, that is something that I really, really want to double down on. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, sharing all of, you know, your journey that you've been on from from the young girl to the woman that we see before us today. I appreciate you and appreciate the work that you're doing with your patients to help people not fall into the burnout trap. So thank you so much for joining me on You Better. 
Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. All right, it is time for a quick break. Y'all, let's talk about books. You know how at the end of every episode, I give you some resources and often those resources are great books that I think would really pair well with the things that we're learning and doing here on You Better. So for that reason, the podcast is affiliated with bookshop.org. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. So whenever you head over to bookshop.org slash shop slash you better and purchase my recommendations, you are not only supporting your own self-love and self-discovery journey, you are also helping to keep local bookstores as an integral part of our culture and communities. And on top of that, you are also financially supporting the production of You Better. Again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash you better. Head over there to get shopping. Okay, now let's get back to the show. I am so happy that Dr. B joined me today. And shout out to my good friend, Lars Ojuku, who introduced us because he understands what I'm trying to do with you better. This story and the way that that Shelly connected her commitment or her over-commitment to achievement, to the impact that colorism had on her life is a prime example of what I often talk about as the impact of systems of oppression on our lives. It's one thing to academically know that these isms exist in the world. It's another thing to process the impact they have in individuals and their movement and how they show up in the world every day. It isn't until you are able to identify those those forces that are operating in your life and question them for yourself that you can begin to stop perpetuating them in the world yourself. So one question for you to chew on after listening to this story is, what systems of oppression are influencing the way I show up every day? Am I doing things to serve or survive an oppressive system that told me I needed to be a certain way. You might be like, Keisha, what kind of question is that? How can I know that I'm operating inside of a system of oppression if I'm operating inside of it? I might not be able to see what it is that's influencing my life. I will give you you know, some of the big boys to start with your understanding of capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy. If you start there, you're probably going to learn a lot about how your movements are shaped by systems of oppression. Even if you just take capitalism, for example, and you start to learn about the values that are baked into it, you'll see why perhaps you constantly compare yourself to other people. Well, competition is a very big part of a capitalist mindset they're always trying to dominate and compete against other folks. And that's why we can never stop innovating, never stop producing. Sometimes you'll see people constantly trying to win, 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 like there's a competition always going on when sometimes there doesn't need to be. That mindset is nurtured in a certain way by the system that you live inside of. And if it doesn't feel good to you, it would behoove you to understand what the root of it is so that you can behave differently. So that is a big question. Even if you start with the big boy systems of oppression and just ask yourself, how 
does this show up in my life? What does it have to do with me? It might be giving you something to survive or it has taught you things that lead to you giving other people things to survive. So we're trying to get out of being our survival selves and figure out how to be our actual selves to the best of our ability. So that's a big question I wanna leave with you today. As for resources for this episode, I know that Dr. B mentioned loving webinars. Um, I think that I'd like to direct you to any interview and podcast that Dr. Yaba Blay has done. That's Y-A-B-A-B-L-A-Y because Shelly talked to us about colorism and the impact it had on her life. And when it comes to colorism, Dr. Yaba Blay is the scholar, the expert, the voice that I love to learn from and listen to in that space. So your, your webinar resources, online interviews, whatever the case may be, it's all, it's all Dr. Blay. Go get into it. And I want to recommend a book. It's called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And it was by Dr. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. They're sisters. This, they wrote this book that I think is really fantastic. And in light of Shelley being a burnout expert, I think that reading this book and following Shelley's work, Dr. Shelley Bomick, I will give you all of her contact information in the show notes. Following that work and reading this book will get you some critical information on not only how to manage the stress that comes with experiencing burnout, but also the context to understand what all is causing burnout. It's not an individual failure to navigate the different things that are at play in your life, but this book and Dr. Bomick's work will give you more context for how this state of being, this overly stressed state of being happens in the lives of people. So I'm happy to give you those resources to look into. And with that, I hope you have learned something today that will help you to you better. Let's meet up next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you found value in this episode, share it with a loved one. That's the main way we keep the show going and growing. And please leave a rating and a review for me. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. I'll see you next week.